0: Welcome back to Dateline New Haven and WNHH-FM. I'm Paul Bash, your host, and finally you look behind the headlines on the stories that make our city and our state tick. Bob Stefanowski has been looking to make our state tick as the next governor. He's the Republican candidate, and I think it's fair to say you've been riding a roller coaster. You started <laughs> your campaign when everyone was talking about inflation, gas prices, Republicans were surging. You had a middle campaign where everyone was talking about abortion, Donald Trump, and your numbers went down. And now you're where you want to be if you're a candidate running for office. There's a red wave in the country. We don't know yet how much it's going to come to Connecticut or not, where everyone's talking about your issues. They're talking about inflation and crime. And uh, you're back. You're no longer in double digits behind, according to polls, which we can't really trust anyway. <laughs> Am I right, Bob Stefanowski? Have I just given it's, your uh, psych out to the world?
1: Listen, that's uh, reasonably ac- It's accurate. <laughs> and uh, I hate roller coasters, by the you way. Know, um, Governor Lamont wants us to be about uh, guns and abortion, and we've got the toughest. Guns. Yeah. We, we we've got the toughest gun laws in the country after Sandy Hook, appropriately so. And I'm going to enforce the laws, and and that's the way it's going to be. And um, Roe v. Wade is codified um, into Connecticut state law. I support a woman's right to choose, so we're not going to change that. As long as I'm governor, that that law to give women the right to choose will stay in effect. Um, But he doesn't, he wants to stay on those issues because he doesn't want to talk about crime, uh, which we can talk about. He doesn't want to talk about an economy, people filling their, their oil tanks halfway because they can't afford to fill it the whole way. And I think government's got between parents and their kids and it's time to get kitchen table issues back to the kitchen table. And have parents work with teachers to bring the right curriculum to the schools, those are the three issues. And Paul. When we poll it, 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 I don't know whether it was a coincidence. Everyone's poll was saying the same Everyone thing. Everyone is saying that. But well, we've been on these three issues for six, nine months now. Um, so we had a sense that this is what was going to be important to people. And
0: so you also had a press conference about another subject this morning about nursing home during COVID. It's kind of interesting. I respected the way in the early days of COVID you said, now is not the time to fight about COVID. We, we have a public health emergency. You got the masks out. And you said, I will have things to say about it later. So now, um, now that the initial part of the crisis phase—it's really not crisis now, although it's a—it's a problem still. You brought up the issue of what happened in nursing homes in the early days.
1: Yeah, and 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 in fairness to Governor Lamont, there was no playbook for COVID. There's no way we could have seen that coming. Um, what frustrated me a little bit is—is is we did make some mistakes. Uh, we didn't have the PPE ready early enough, and I worked with the. Jewish Federation of Greater okay. New Haven. We handed out 1.6 million masks. Yeah, my wife does does a lot of the work. I take the credit. You no, you, together, totally you, you knew the it. supply people, um, right? You knew
0: who had the trucks from the south, right? Right.
1: But the yeah. biggest one, Paul, is, is, you know, we took infected patients, the governor did, took infected patients with COVID out of hospitals and putting them to nursing homes. And, you know, we have the top five. We're top five in the country in number of deaths, meaning the worst in the country um, deaths in the ages 65 and over from COVID. So what bothers me is not so much um, what bothers me is the governor won't admit it. If he came forward and said, I made a mistake, Bob, uh, I didn't know at that point. That's fine. I get it. But he's denying something that's factual. and And I think voters have the right to know. So and,
0: Bob, I'm a little curious why you bring this up now, because you have a couple of issues where Republicans nationwide are gaining and you're gaining right on inflation, yeah. on crime. Yep. on COVID, separate from the specifics of what you're bringing up, he gets high marks. People he felt good about it, yeah. handled it, businesses reopened, he took it seriously, he made some mistakes like everybody. I'm curious why you're bringing this one up, since it's not an issue that voters have said that they still, two years later, are kind of pissed at Lamont about Because I
1: think it's about character, Paul. And, and, and people want to be... I've heard before, governor is kind of a fatherly or motherly figure, right? They want someone they can trust. They want someone who's going to tell them the truth. They want someone who's going to be transparent. I mean, I filed every bit of data I possibly could. Everybody knows, um, you know, where my income came from and, and all that good stuff. And, and when, and it happened at the debate when, when I asked governor Lamont, or I didn't even ask him, I said, governor, you put infected patients in the nursing homes and he says, no, I, I don't know how you trust him on other issues. Um, so I'm being transparent. Um, as you know, Paul, I grew up a few miles down the road from here. Um, I love this state. We're going to turn it around, and, and we are going to win next Tuesday. There's no doubt in my mind we win next Tuesday. So, Bob
0: Stefanowski, Republican candidate for governor on Dateline New Haven. So, one thing you were transparent about is that you made money as a consultant for um, a company doing emerging acquisition t- for a green hydrogen community in Saudi Arabia. And I don't really wasn't that interested in the controversy about it. What I was interested in is that you obviously know a lot about mergers and acquisitions. It's so interesting we don't talk about things like that in, in, a, in a political campaign because I think you and I would yeah. agree that most people go to sleep when they hear mergers and acquisitions. <laughs> but I was so interested that you would get $12 million a year to consult on how to pull off a big deal to create a clean energy oasis in yeah. another part of the world. Yeah. So you obviously know something. About yeah. mergers access, which are very yeah. important. We're talking about multi billion dollar deals right. that happen every day where companies combine or take each other over. Right. Millions of jobs matter because of it. The ability of our economy nationally and internationally to tackle any big issue from healthcare to the environment often depends on what happens with these deals. So what is the secret, you know, Bob Stefanowski, that makes you're such a valuable person to
1: consult well, on this? Yeah, you don't you know me, I'm not a big bragger, but um, I, you know, I've been doing it for a long time. First of all, let me talk. This is a project that's going to change the world. They can actually turn um, water into hydrogen and oxygen, and the hydrogen runs cars. And by the way, a the, the, the thing called an electrolyzer splits hydrogen, uh, H2O, into hydrogen and oxygen. That's powered by wind and solar. Now, so so is pr- that
0: the fact that it's a dry part of the world matter at all? Uh,
1: you know, the advantage over there is you've got sun in the day and wind at night. That's why it's a good thing over there because you, you need the power all the time. But John Kerry, who is uh, um, Biden's global climate head, endorsed this project. So I'm proud to be a side. Oh, do green, I like what's going on in the country? What's yeah. that?
0: Green hydrogen is a big deal.
1: It's, it's going to be the future. Um, and do I like what's going on in that country? Absolutely not. But this is a project between two companies, a U.S. company and a Saudi company. So back to uh, M and A. Listen, I I did it at GE. I worked for. Uh, I was a CFO of UBS. Oh, so you, when G when General Electric we were acquiring a lot of companies, um, I've worked in private equity. I was a CFO of UBS. I was a. a um, clinical professor at uh, Oxford and, and Cambridge when I lived in London. So I know a bit about it. <laughs> I've so what about books.
0: it? Because people are like, oh, you've written books on this? Yeah. See, like I'm completely ignorant. About I'll it. bring you one it. next time. There's a lot left over. Yeah, there's like, a lot
1: of them left over. I'll bring it to you. Like it's, I'm reading about a Simon
0: Schuster, you know, <laughs> whether they take over Penguin or whether that's antitrust violations. I'm reading about CVS and Aetna, which actually seemed right. kind of like a good idea because in my ignorance, because I felt like, CVS is kind of where we're going for healthcare, where it costs less, where the private market is actually doing something useful yeah. about healthcare costs. And will that actually work? So I am just wondering, what what is the, you know, aren't merging acquisitions kind of like the weather? They happen in a capitalist world. Doesn't mean they're by their nature good or bad, they're kind of reality. I mean, is the role you uh-huh. would play in negotiating them or coming up with the terms, is that sort of what determines whether it's a good thing to have a merge. It's, it's an all?
1: interesting question, you know, as you go through your career, when you're younger, IQ is important, right? You need to be able to look up things. And I'm convinced Paul, when you get older, EQ, emotional intelligence is more important. So think about this deal. You've got two very different cultures. You got to really turn in hydrogen and turn in water into hydrogen and oxygen. is not easy. Um, so you got to be able to deal with different cultures, uh, have the right approach, which also I will think will help in the, in in the legislature, trying to get people that don't well, necessarily agree with you. Yeah. Um, so the personal skills are important. And again, you look at the here, here's another example: the state peer, right? With Those are three parties. That's a merger. You got the state of Connecticut, you've got Orsted, and you got Eversource, and somehow the state of Connecticut's picking up two hundred million of, a, of 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 the overrun, hundred percent ourselves. That You need somebody who's done it before. I could tell you, if I was working on that deal, there is no way in heck I would stick the taxpayers of Connecticut with 100% of the overrun. You sit down with Orsted, you sit down at Eversource, you got to be willing to you know, call their bluff and say, guys, you need to pick up a third of this. I'm not going to waste Connecticut taxpayer money. So when
0: you bring the table, do you kind of outsource the data crunching and you're looking more at who yeah. the different players are and what they're bringing to the table, what they need to make the deal? Like, How is this different from traditional deal-making when you're doing emerging
1: acquisition. It's Well, number one, it's extremely confidential because one of the companies that's public now, Air Products, is a New York Stock Exchange U.S. company. So if I were to walk into your office, you'd say, oh, by the way, I'm working on a merger. That, that that's inside yeah. information, yeah. so you can't discuss it. But what you need is a really smart team underneath you. You need some young people that know how to crunch numbers. Um, yeah. And then you provide the perspective. And, and it's a very interesting career path because you have to be technically good. You have to be good with people. You have to be able to boil very complex things down into short. You know, at GE, they talked about the elevator speech. If if you got onto an elevator and Jack Walsh was next to you and he asked you what you're doing, you can't spend 15 minutes explaining it. You you, got to be able to do it. And many people cannot do that. So you kind of started answering the main question I was going with
0: here. How How do you translate what you know about and acquisition and working on those deals to being a governor. It sounds like you through two realms maybe without my putting words into your I, mouth. Again, partly I know. it's how you deal with issues in general of having different parties, whether it's legislators or a business deal you're making. And partly you do you have a role sometimes in mergers' acquisitions, like C V S etn, if that had happened while you were no. governor, would you I, have had some role to say, How does this affect us? Could do we need
1: to analyze this deal for how it's gonna affect government? Absolutely. Because these mean,
0: decisions have as much to do with our
1: workforce as what state government does, correct? They do. And you look at the job of a governor and, and I you know, I, he seems like a nice guy, but Governor Lamont's over his head. This is a twenty-four billion dollar the state of Connecticut, the company of Connecticut with fifty thousand employees, and we're doing look at Orsted, that's a that's a merger and acquisition. Um, or the State Peer I should say. So you're dealing with relationships and, and you need a certain level of EQ. And, and again, I'm not turning this into a campaign commercial, but when you got people choosing between groceries and, 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 prescription medicine and they're feeding, you know, they're filling their gas tanks half full, you need to be able to emphasize, emphasize with them. You can't say everything's fine. What do people, I was in Dixwell Avenue in new Haven. I'm supposed to walk up to that guy and say, Oh no, you don't realize that our economy has its mojo back and you just don't. Of course it's not fine. And that's part of leadership is to understand different perspectives, to put them together, and then to make a decision. And that's why I think I'm going to be a hell of a governor, Paul. Bob Stefanowski, WNHS, New Haven, uh, Dateline New Haven. I, I, you know,
0: one reason I'm so insomer in acquisitions is that if I haven't figured out when the public benefits are not, like hospital mergers, right? Yeah. Yale New Haven bought St. Fields Hospital. I actually thought that was great. Yeah. Even though they got bigger, you don't usually want bigger. Saint Ray's was going out of business. Right. So they took over Saint Ray's. They were able to cut some overhead, and we now have those two hospital campuses. People have raised concerns about them buying so many more now. Waterbury, you know, Rhode Island. How do you look at? So again, this is a different role for you as governor with mergers and acquisitions. When you're not actually the party, although you have some like re- leg- regulatory oversight, you still have a voice because you represent the people of Connecticut in looking. At how business deals will affect the workforce. Any thoughts on, on the consolidation of health care?
1: It's a terrific question. It's, I, I really do love coming in here, because you asked some of the They <laughs> well, never have you, anything you to actually do with know politics. This stuff. But, I just asked the question. Well, but it does. It, 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 the government the is right. more
0: important than the politics. It's more important than who said what in a debate. Uh, it's more important than what's in an ad. It's like, who's, where know. are we going to go when we get sick, and where are the nurses right.
1: going to work? It's the right question. Because the argument for a merger would be you can consolidate back offices, take out cost, and do it more efficiently which to a certain extent is true but in my humble opinion i think that you know you've got yale and new haven and you have got hartford healthcare i don't think there's enough competition and i'm not saying they're they're intentionally trying to you know scrape too much money off people but competition is a good thing look at metro north right it's the perfect example of a monopoly the service goes down and the price goes up <laughs> you
0: know? so i hope and, i'm and, not getting too much in the weeds here well, that's i think right. we all believe on all sides competition is good yes and that sometimes when these happen, it's just the competition doesn't exist, right? You need the larger scale. Well, it would, I mean, look
1: at Eversource. The, the, the value goes down. You know, what I mean the is rates. that
0: these smaller hospitals are going out of business. They can't compete in the healthcare field. But then the, comp, that then the mergers further make competition difficulty. And I'm thinking about the acquisition of private practices. So all these doctors feel they had to sell to Yale or Hartford Hospital. Now you have these two big right. networks of private practices, which definitely hurt competition. They close down some of the offices of these practices. You have to drive further to get places, and it's not always clear, although New Haven hasn't ranked badly the way some in other states have, where the, the prices actually yeah, haven't no, gone down. I,
1: I'm not saying of them are bad, but when you have health care costs going up 23%, the governor brags that he gets it down to up 13%, there's other things you should be doing, introducing competition, maybe going over state borders for... insurance. There's a lot of things, and I don't think we've been innovative enough, Paul. Talk about green hydrogen. You know, Aversource announces yesterday that prices are going to go up 40%, and there might be rolling blackouts or brownouts, or that there likely will be this winter. Well, if you wait to the point where Eversource announces that, there's not a lot you can do. We need to be looking at all of the above. You so know, what would you
0: do about this weekend, This winter? What would you do now if you were governor or if well, you get elected with Eversource it's on It's a little
1: bit late, but you know, we've got $6 billion of tax money that Governor Lewand took from us, more than he needs. Um, we should give some of that back to help people get through well, one this. One thing you talked
0: about was what they call the DPUC now the uh, that regulates the utilities. It used to be the public utilities. we no, not deep. Okay. The regulatory body that regulates rate oh, increases. Oh, pure. Pure, pure now Yeah, to I want to expand that. It's not working. Well, was it not just expanding? You said something that I used to hear Democrats say. You said you want to have less of industry represented on that body. Not get well, rid of them, but you wanted to have consumer
1: yeah. representation. Tell me a little hey, more hey, about here's that. Here's the problem in Connecticut, and, and I've said this before. When I win, and we are going to win, I work for you. Right right now, people feel like they work for government. And you know who always is, gets the short end of the stick is the taxpayer of Connecticut because they're never at the table. Pura allows Eversource to get a guaranteed return of 9.5% regardless of what their what their performance is. Consumer bills, the delivery charge is higher than so the why charge did they for So why did so, that happen? Because we've got all, well, number one, they're all appointed by the governor, and I think Eversource lobbies them pretty hardly. And number two, we need a consumer advocate on that panel. You, Right. <laughs> I want am not. To you know, I'm, not I'm not <laughs> suggesting it be you, but somebody that has nothing. Yeah. I right, need anatorite. No idea about. I'm not trying to trash you now, but no idea about energy or no, how to fair, work in the fair, capital. But you know what? You're paying that utility bill every month, and every month it goes up. I want someone like you on that board to sit there and represent the interest of the consumer. The consumer's the one paying. How can they not have a seat at the table? It's some of this stuff. People say it's going to be hard to be governor. Yeah, I'm sure it will be, but some of this stuff is common sense. You're sitting on $6 billion, Governor Lamont, of our tax money, and people are filling their oil tanks halfway, and you slap the tax on food. You know what we're going to do? We're going to make it more affordable day one for people to live here, and I'm looking forward to doing it, Pat. I
0: know you're familiar with this argument where you say when you got you maxed out on your rainy day fund, you maxed out surplus, some of that should go because it's raining it's now. It's pouring out. And you, the go argument out on this, on you go the right outside this
1: building and ask people if they feel like it's a. it is a sunny day, but... But, you know, figuratively, like they and, feel like they're, they're, they're rolling are you and from, the argument on the other side, which is that be, we're
0: getting ready for another recession. Oh,
1: if he can't manage through a recession with three, I'm taking half of it, three billion. If we can't manage through a recession with three billion, he shouldn't be in the job in the first place. Bob Stefanowski, Dateline, New Haven. Bob is the Republican
0: candidate for governor. So earlier you said something. You said the governor is seen as a father
1: figure. Is that from polling? Just from you so hear? much polling. It's kind of common wisdom. You know, the reason I'm not running for for a federal office is I couldn't sit in committee meetings all day and, you know, and watch the really dysfunction either. up there. I like the governor because it's a CEO role. I've been a CEO. Well, I was going to say the I only know poll to... I'm
0: familiar with on that was from 1988 by Stan Greenberg when Toby Moffat tried to run for governor and didn't get far, even though he was a popular fighting congressman. And what they found out is that people wanted the governor to be a banker, which would explain why as New hey, as Connecticut turned blue – you could still get Republican governors because mm-hmm. they saw that role is different. They kind of went for the hardcore national issue fighter in Congress, but for governor, they wanted some. they looked at
1: and said, that person's going to manage my money. Well, I think it's part of it. Fiscal discipline. And that doesn't mean spending less. It means holding people accountable for what they do. And I think there needs to be more accountability. I think new Haven probably needs more education funding, but you know what? We still shouldn't be at a 20% age appropriate level in math with kids. That's another thing we should be doing with the money. COVID has set these kids behind months, if not years, both socially, emotionally, and academically. Let's let's get some of that money and start offering after-school programs. It? Money and accountability. You know, and how does the city of Hartford start with 90 substitute teachers? If we don't have enough teachers, we should be paying them more. What, what's more important than educating our kids? So this is where I get back to, I'm sure it's harder, but this is not rocket science figuring this stuff out. It's about EQ, understanding what people mean, being a good leader being close to the details governor lamont is not close to the details he floats above the surface i'm going to be i'm going to hire commissioners i'm going to hire diverse commissioners i'm going to hire different opinions and then i'm going to hold them accountable so coming from the business sector there's been this argument by republican
0: candidates and ned lamont who have self-funded campaigns in connecticut over the last 20 years who say because i have business experience i can run government better they have enough money where they, they can pay for their own campaigns. And except for Governor Lamont, the candidate has always lost, right? You got Foley had two campaigns Ooh. he lost for governor. McMahon had two campaigns for Senate. I would argue that Lamont won by default. <laughs> no, no, I would. I'm not, this isn't a put down to Lamont. The only person who's running against the Democratic primary was someone who just came out of prison. And in the general election, it was a year when Democrats and independents were dying to vote against Donald Trump. Am I right that, at least on the campaign trail, separate from the issue of who would make a better governor, that Connecticut hasn't been going for business people in government?
1: I guess that's a fair statement. I mean, think about it. Malloy was a politician, um, Jody Verrell. I guess that's fair, Paul. I, I would say, though, there was a lot of headwind in 2018. I lost by 40,000 votes. We've got tailwind as Republicans this time. We've got a president that's not popular. We've got we got inflation. we got out-of-control crime. The headwinds that I had in 2018 are now headwinds against Governor Lamont. It's hard to beat an incumbent, but what I ask people is, do they really feel safer than they did four years ago? Do they feel that Connecticut's more affordable? Do they feel like the education is better? And if the answer to that is yes, you know, I'm still going to represent you if you don't vote for me. I have to represent everybody at Connecticut as much as anybody else, but I think it can be better. I don't think we should accept where we are right now, second-highest taxes in the country and, and utility costs higher than the entire continental U S of course we can do better. Connecticut's a better place. I'm part of the public school system. I'm proof, you know, we can do better in Connecticut. More kids should have the opportunities I did.
0: And I guess I was focusing more on campaigning than governing. So like a business person governing, you learn on the trail. You're running against not Lamont, but other people who have run for all these offices before they learn what it's like to campaign. What's something you've learned about running for office that you didn't know?
1: Um, to show the, you know, I don't know how to say it without sounding area. First time around, I was very buttoned up. The, uh, the advisor said, here's what you say. Here's what you can't say this time. And I'm an introvert, right? So it's harder for me. I'm just trying to open up and let people see, you know, here's what this guy is. You may love me. You may not love me, but again, I'm a blue collar guy. I worked my tail off. I got great parents. I got lucky. I've raised a family here. I've got some good ideas on how to turn this state around. And if you want more of the status quo, I don't know why you would. But I need people to take it, take a bit of a risk, and take a change next Tuesday. And if you do it, I'm going to guarantee I'm going to deliver for you. It's going to be more affordable. We're going to we're going to support police. Going to get crime down. And and I don't know why people wouldn't vote for a change in direction. And I would be honored to have your listeners vote. I'm sure there's some that like me and some that don't like me. But i would be honored. Um, I'd be honored to have your vote, Paul. I know you can't tell me, but uh, I suspect. Well, I don't know. But anyway, I, I will say that I'm voting on six different lines in this election. It's a fun election six different what do you mean like working parties and independent and-
0: yeah there's republican democrat working <laughs> friendly, independent um
1: yeah. uh there's a
0: um there's a petition line there's a yeah, write-in well, line you got a lot of choices it's really interesting it democracy is, interesting. is alive this year and i salute all of it you is. who are running because i think you're giving us great choices and you've had a lot to say I- so jack welch is in the elevator you do have to give him that elevator pitch you just gave me one that i'm guessing was too long for jack
1: a little bit too long what are you telling jack Time for change. Uh, the last four half years haven't worked. I've got a plan to make it more affordable, to make it safer. I'm a good guy. I don't believe the attack ads. I'm a family guy. I love Connecticut. We're going to make it better. Vote for change on Tuesday. Do you think that, was that the, would be
0: tough time in a ride with Jack Welch to get that all in? Oh, he would have asked a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jack, we got to the floor. Sorry. <laughs> hey, Bob Stefanowski, it's really great when you come in. I, I love, love coming to on you. here. And, um, you know, whatever happens, you're always welcome back. Thank you, Paul. And um, thanks to Harry Drose, the number one producer I can imagine anywhere on so many platforms, I think we've entered the multiverse. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic Experience, performing I Wish I Knew How It Feel to Be Free, for the group CD, A Plea for Peace. This is Paul Bass inviting you to fly free with us all day, all night, and all weekend long on WNHH New Haven's Home for Community Radio.